Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. I want to tell you how happy we are to have Trent Franks with us. He's a member of the Congress. He's a member of Congress from 2003 to 2017. Uh, if you're allowed to have favorites, he's just one of our favorites. I want to tell you one story about him and then make you aware of it. One time, Rosemary and I went to what was supposed to be a prayer meeting for members of Congress. They called it. Two people showed up. And that was Michelle Bachman and Trent Franks. Mm-hmm. How we got invited, I don't recall, but we got there. And Michelle Bachman, as she was praying, was she wasn't praying. She was travailing for America. Mm-hmm. She was travailing in the sense that as she was sitting in her chair, she literally was going, her head was going all the way to her knees, prevailing in, in deep pain for America. It was it was jolting to watch. I realized we were on very shaky ground. And then uh, I opened my eyes a second time, and I was my chair was such that I could look straight ahead of me and see Trent Franks, Congressman Trent Franks, praying. And he had left his chair, and he was down on all four, hands and knees, pr- praying out loud, calling out for repenting of the sins of America before a holy and just God. And from his eyes were coming tears that were falling on the floor. And there was a puddle of water from the tears of this man as he prayed for America. So Congressman Franks, I cannot tell you the impact the two of you had uh, on us on, on that occasion. Uh, so we're going to jump on. Uh, Mario, I see you're on. Mm-hmm. Why don't you bring greetings before I uh, turn it right to Congressman Franks. Mario, you want to say greetings to the mm-hmm. people? Uh, it's so great to have each of you uh, with us today. We have a very important program. We encourage each of you to share the broadcast. Back to you, Jen. We're going to do something we've never done on the World Prayer Network. We've occasionally had a guest come on and cover uh, rarely a second topic unrelated to the first as such. I don't know, maybe it's happened once or twice. This is going to be the first time we have a guest cover three distinctly different topics. All of them are critically important. Why are we having him cover three distinct topics from not related necessarily inherently to the previous one? Well, the answer is because we were interviewing a guy who's profoundly knowledgeable about these topics. He's one of the top. Uh, the first topic that Congressman Franks is going to talk about is helping us understand, I'll put it this way, the military hardware in terms of the Hamas rockets, the missiles from Hezbollah, and where we are with Iran in terms of its uranium enrichment. The mm-hmm. second topic, now, now that's a critical topic, so we understand what Israel's going through in the battle they find themselves. And, and as we've interviewed uh, Josh Waller a few days ago, we learned there's a fourth front to that war, and that's in Samaria, where 500,000 Jewish people are surrounded by two and a half million Arabs, a number of them who want them all dead. So it's a pretty painful situation in Samaria and Judea. Don't ever call it West Bank. It's Samaria and Judea. Okay. That having been said, the second topic is going to give the EMP, EMP electromagnetic, electromagnetic pulse, electromagnetic pulse. Why should you care? Well, we'll get to that one a little bit. The third one is going to be fracking. Why should you care? Well, if you want to be able to have a car, if you want to have energy that runs this world, 
if you don't want to go back to the Stone Age, you're going to care about fossil fuels and nuclear and such. And we have an expert on the topic. He owns, has owned a number of oil drilling companies, oil companies, oil and gas companies. He's an expert on that. He's one of the top experts in the world on EMP. And he was on the committee. He was, he, in fact, he was chairman of the Israel Allies Caucus, the one who fought in Congress to make sure Israel was properly funded. When you see those dollars appropriately going to Israel to help them survive against the Arab nations around them, 22 Arab nations, uh, the man who led the charge on that was Trent Franks. He's not currently in Congress, but he's running for Congress. And I don't know who he's running against, but um, I'm kind of praying for Trent Franks to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. I have no idea who else is running, That's but I, I sure know. I want a godly man like him. Uh, Congressman, it's so good to have have you on. And let's just jump in that first topic. If you want to take the first one minute. I know this sounds crazy, but the first one minute, give your life history. One minute to, to help us know Trent Franks better as a human being, as a person, then do that. And then let's go right in to understanding what is happening in the war with Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran. Wow. Well, I'll just say thank you for allowing me to come on. You know, I love both of you guys uh, with all my heart. And uh, Mario, I probably love you too, but I don't know you as well as I do them. But uh, it's just a, such a sweet honor to be with with all of you. And I, I certainly endorse everything that you do. Uh, I know that you're committed to honoring God. And that, that first way that we one of the most important ways we honor God is by blessing the people around us, especially our families and, and those of the household of faith. So uh, we're so con connect connected and committed to what you're doing. I became a, a Christian when I was uh, almost eight years old. And uh, it was the most important thing that ever happened to me. And uh, I, I grew up fairly quickly. I was out on my own at a very early age. I bought a little junk drilling rig when I was 17 with my 15-year-old brother. And we went to Texas and started drilling holes in the ground. And the rest is kind of history. And uh, so we were, we were thankful. And we've been part of sort of the miracle of, of being in America and and then um, the smartest business decision I ever made was to run for Congress and let him be president of the company. So uh, that's still where it is right now. He's he's president and I'm chairman of the board and we do work mostly in Australia. But uh, uh, it is important to have energy in this world because about, you know, when you really consider uh, how much energy has given people a quality of life and a life in general, uh, literally, if we had no energy, uh, I say this to you without being over dramatic, but literally probably around 2 billion people would die if we had no energy in the world, uh, if we had no machine energy, no no fossil fuels, no no nuclear energy, nothing of consequence. And you can't replace that right now with, with wind and solar. And that's just the un unfortunate reality. Trent, I got to break in for a second here. I, I was, I'm still taken by you buying a drilling rig when you were 17 and your brother was yep. 15. But before I ask a question on that, we just returned from London, the uh, Alliance uh, for Responsible Citizenship, the ARC conference. And one third of the three themes, one of the th three themes there was the I issue of energy independence. And every speaker, these were from 73 nations, 1,500 invited delegates, made the case over and over what you have just said. The discovery of fossil fuels has reduced poverty, pain and suffering in the world. One of them made the claim it reduced it from 90% of poverty in the world down to 10% poverty in the world. 
that's a pretty strong claim that may in fact uh, be quite accurate, but overwhelming they showed what had happened because of the discovery of fossil fuels yeah. and the cleanness of even nuclear and the safety of nuclear energy. So uh, that was affirmed just constantly by, by speaker after speaker. But I, I, I'm intrigued by a 17 year old bought a drilling rig with yeah, his it was a, little brother, and it, you went to Texas and started drilling. That's the truth, Jim. It was a little junk drilling rig. It was what they call the Western Geophysical 1000, and it was on a Ford 600 truck, and it was heavily used. We got it for $13,500, and uh, we we went to, to Texas and started drilling these little shallow wells north of Putnam, Texas. And uh, the first well we drilled might have been the driest hole in Texas, uh, but uh, it it was something that got us started, and then we did some contracting and then we we worked our way into it. And when I was 18, I hit my first oil well and we sold our first load of oil to Coke Oil Company at the time. And uh, the rest is kind of history. You know, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, uh, Liberty's now involved with uh, some of the biggest companies, the biggest companies in the world. And we do work offshore in Australia and onshore. And uh, I I just have to say that it wasn't it wasn't any genius on our part. It was that we lived in such amazing, an amazing country that gave people like us that would were willing to work the opportunity to to prevail. Well, you you actually are a genius as well. Of course, the blessings of America uh, yeah. it was a key issue. But uh, you're extremely smart. My understanding is on these topics, you are largely self-educated, and physics is your number one love. <laughs> I don't know anybody that thinks physics is their number one love. So that's. That is remarkable. Well, I broke into your story. Uh, any more on your life before we jump into the topic of Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran? No, just that I got I got a precious wife I've been married to for 43 years. And the breast, I have twins, a boy and a girl, Josh and Gracie, that are the light of my soul. They are the gifts of God to me, the sweetest gifts. Other than salvation itself, they're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me on earth. And uh, they're brilliant and they're wonderful. And uh, I I just hardly can talk with without becoming emotional about them. They are just such precious gifts to me. My boy now is he's six feet two. And he's fifteen years old, and my daughter is five five nine, and she plays the piano. Would make any any terrorist cry uh, because she plays so beautifully. So I'm I'm just a, I'm just a blessed man more than anything else. Well, it was a joy to have you speak uh, back in the day at Skyline Church. Yep. Got wonderful pictures with you, and you're one of the first ones I gave a copy all the way back in 2016. You have a copy of my book, Well Versed. Yes, uh, sir. In, in in Congress. So, well, let's jump into this topic. This is quite a topic. Help help us in, in layman's terminology. You know the technical aspect because you were so involved on various, uh, chairing various committees, and, and you, you chaired a lot of committees. I could not believe, and you served on so many committees, adoption, foster care, Boy, the whole gamut is quite a quite a lineup of committees. If you want to refer to those, by all means, do. But then lead us right into understanding. Help us understand what Israel's facing with Hamas rockets, uh, a more sophisticated, as I understand it, Hezbollah missiles, one hundred and fifty thousand or more. Uh, that's pretty stunning. That that number right there. That and you were involved with the Iron Dome. Help people understand the Iron Dome. I, I had the privilege of being over there in August twenty fourteen. During the attacks, we got to see the uh, Iron Dome uh, there near Ash Ashkelos, I believe it was, Ash 
Ashkelon, or yeah, I think that's going to be close to there at that point. So give me uh, a sense of that and then take us to Iran. Well, first of all, as you know, I was chairman of the, of the, Air, Air, of the um, Israel Allies Caucus in Congress, and I'm deeply committed to Israel. I suppose any evangelical Christian almost, you know, we can't explain our existence apart from Israel. And uh, so I, I, I probably won't expand on that a lot, except to say to you that I believe Israel does more for America than America does for Israel. And I believe that if we fail our most vital ally, we will be displeasing God himself. I mean, that's pretty pretty direct stuff for a for a you know a politician to say but i truly believe that the future of our children is very dependent upon how we interact and how we support israel uh so with that in mind that motivation in mind i was also chairman of the missile defense caucus and that covers you know all aspects of missile defense but there are three basic ones and that is to be able to interdict uh missiles uh against our homeland or against you know, our, one of our allies in the boost phase, in the intermediate phase or the uh, uh, mid-range and the, then the uh, terminal phase. And Israel has about, you know, they, they have a tremendous number of, of rockets that you're talking about, but they have about 25,000, 20 to 25,000 missiles that are aimed at them that are right, right there in their immediate uh, telemetry, which it makes it very difficult for them to deal with. And they've already encountered probably somewhere around 6,000 of those have been fired at them in this last tragic incursion by Hamas and, and, and to some extent by Hezbollah, of course, as well. And the Iron Dome is a system that is made to interdict the, the smaller Gurad, uh, the Katusha rockets, the unguided missiles. Now, it is true that there are some of the, the larger uh, missiles that are what we would call on the, the order of our SM-6. They're smaller missiles, but they are guided, and they're much more dangerous, and they've got a much larger warhead. But the, the Iron Dome is the one, one of the most effective immediate terminal phase systems in the world. It had been existing in nascent st uh, uh, stage when I came to Congress, but uh, we uh, worked very hard in the Missile Defense Caucus and the Israel uh, Allies Caucus together and made sure that Israel had uh, a strong financial support every year. There were times when Barack Obama was in office that I didn't know if we were going to get the, the uh, recommended amount, but we always did. And they built that system into one of the most demonstrative systems in the world. Um, it caused our own missile defense caucus to go from about 16 or 17 members to over 30 members because they demonstrated the efficacy of missile defense for the whole world when they shot down about 86% of the the system's uh, designated uh, intercepts. Now, I'll give you one example. The Iron Dome is calibrated such that if there is, a, say, a Katusha rocket that comes in and it's going to be, this trajectory is going to land out in a field and not do any damage, it, it will let that one land. It won't even engage that system. But it's not a hit. It can be hit to kill, but it's primarily a proximity uh, system that literally is able to destroy an incoming missile even if the interdiction warhead becomes even close to the other missile. It can explode or it can do the kinetic hit to kill. And it is one of the most effective systems in the world. Their intermediate system is what they call the stunner or the David sling. And I think that's very aptly named. And uh, then their long range system is the Arrow 3. We were involved heavily in all three of those systems. 
uh, our office played an especially important role in making sure that America's continued involvement in the Arrow 3 uh, was sustained. When, when our own missile defense agency was going to back away, they said, well, they're not going to make their next knowledge point. Uh, our office inter inter intervened and said we would put it on the floor or in committee and make people vote against Israel before we would uh, back away from our commitment there. So we were able to prevail there. And then Israel went ahead and did their testing and it was flawless. And uh, now we are continuing to be involved with the Arrow 3 system. And we use some of the Arrow 3 gimbal uh, technology on our own SM3 uh, interceptor. And it's absolutely made our own capability uh, uh, several generations uh, advanced. So I know there's there's so much to talk in such a short period of time. We're covering a lot of territory, but we have we must support Israel in every way in the world. And I will tell you, missile defense is more vital to them than I think any country on Earth. Uh, when you were chairman of the Israel Allies Caucus, your co-chairman was a Democrat. You're a Republican. He was a Democrat. Right. Uh, Elliot Elliot Engel. Engel. Yeah. I think Is he from New York? He is. And Elliot, uh, I think New York and New Jersey, I, I'm going to, I better be careful here, but I think it's New York. But Elliot is a, Elliot and I disagree on just about everything but Israel. You understand that. But I love the man because I think he wanted to do the right thing. Now, he was terribly confused on everything but Israel. <laughs> now he, and he, he, got, he would say the same of me, of course. He got primaried out by, he, uh, he lost the Democratic primary by a member of the squad. The reason right. I'm telling you, or an expansion of the squad, the reason I'm telling you that is because the Democrat Party used to support Israel. Yeah. And so this is a radical change, what is taking place in Congress, and a very serious one. If America stops supporting Israel, the blessing of the Lord is going to leave Israel, leave America, and we will. America will be in very, very deep trouble. Uh, Trent, could you take a moment and give a description? I, when I saw the Iron Dome in operation, I don't know what I expected. Yes, I do not expect. I expected because I'm not aware like you are. I expected to arrive there and see a big, huge military base, a constellation. And where we were taken was out to a field. And here was one vehicle. Yeah. Field, a rocket launcher. It could launch 16, I think, 12 yeah. or 16. And here was an 18 year old girl at a computer making the decisions of where to fire that thing or not because. The 18, 19 year old girls, their brains, I'm not trying to be insult us guys, their brains work faster than us guys. So oh, they only do no on that. They can make decisions yeah. quicker. Somehow they formulate Multi -task. it quicker. Multitask, that's a pretty singular task yeah. there. They're highly focused. And so I was shocked to hear Aaron Dome is this, I suppose there's a number of them placed uh, around uh, the northern part of Hamas, Gaza uh, rather. But describe what the Iron Dome looks like, and so they can understand, because even though it's extremely effective, this is a pretty agile entity. It can be moved quickly. It, it, it's something can go down actually a freeway. So give, give a description of it. Well, first of all, there are basically three main components, and that is your sensor system. That is your ability to see incoming uh, rockets or missiles and their trajectory you know ballistic trajectory is very predictable if there's no guidance system on the missile you can ascertain uh, where the missile is going to go fairly effectively 
even though you, you've got some thrust uh, issues, some inertial issues, but basically uh, with the dummy or dumb rockets where they're not uh, guided, you can ascertain their flight path uh, based on, on ballistic telemetry. So you have your systems that sense where the missile is and, and where it's coming from and, and what angle of, of trajectory that is coming in. And you have your second system, which is the fire control. Very important. That's what the young lady you were talking about was running. As I said, she had fire control was coming into her computer and telling her, hey, this missile or this missile is something that is on trajectory to maybe hit a, um, a playground or, a, a, you know, a city that, you know, Sterote is probably one of the most uh, vulnerable cities in Israel. And they're always having to deal with this. And so when you know that a missile is coming in that is truly dangerous, then the system itself, the fire control system, engages that. And then she has the last word to say, oh, yes, OK, we're going to we're going to go ahead and do that. And then the third component is the actual rocket launchers themselves. And they are tied into the fire control. So it's really kind of an amazing system that's tied together by a very, very advanced computer system and uh, by very well uh, thought out algorithms that create the the interdiction or the intercept. And, you know, when we're talking about these small rockets, we're not talking about really high speed things. But I'm, I'm telling you now that uh, on some of our GBIs or some of our ICBM interceptors, some of the closing speeds of those are 21, 22,000 miles an hour. And they always used to make fun of George, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, because they said, well, SDI is crazy. It's a, it's a ridiculous thing. What's that's that's SDI stand for? What's SDI? I'm sorry, strate strategic defense initiative. They call it Star Wars because yeah. they wanted to make fun of it. You know, they want to make it sound like he was just a cowboy. They said that's like hitting a bullet with a bullet, and you know they were wrong. Uh, that wasn't hitting a bullet with a bullet. It was hitting a dot on the side of a bullet with a bullet consistently, and that's what we do today. We hit a dot on the side of a bullet with a bullet consistently and not at 30-06 speeds, but at speeds of maybe 10,000 miles an hour both ways. So the, the, uh, the, it's a stunning capability that we have right now. And one of the amendments that I offered in Congress, which passed, was to turn a regional uh, limited system into a robust, uh, comprehensive or national system. And uh, I also offered the amendment to build the, the space-based layer over America, which we're building now. It only took 11 years for that amendment to pass, but it did pass. And we're building the space-based layer right now. And they're guessing that it'll be an operational, it'll be somewhat operational in 26 or 27. And so I can't tell you uh, how desperately important this is. Uh, sometimes we forget that even though we only spend 5% of our national defense budget on nuclear missiles or our nuclear arms, they still are the basic deterrent that we have in the world. And uh, people don't realize that one nuclear weapon can ruin your whole day. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a stunning uh, reality that we face. I mean, uh, I'll give you one example. One of our, well, I, I better stay away from some of that. But the bottom line is that, that uh, we, about 70% of our nuclear throw weight now is on, sub, on our submarine forces. And so if we can protect those submarines, and none of this is classified, but if we can protect those submarines, we can turn 30 minutes into 15 minutes of being able to respond to, a, say, a, a, a Russian or a, a Chinese attack or an Iranian attack. But if we don't have the ability to make sure our enemy knows that we will prevail in any circumstance, then they may be um, tempted 
to try to, to, to take us on. And that's the, that's the greatest uh, danger that we face because we do not have the ability to stop a full raid from either a Russian Federation strike or even, uh, even Iran, if they, if they had enough warheads, have enough missiles that they could eventually overwhelm the existing uh, missile defense system that we have now. Uh, I want to get back to the issue of Hamas and Hezbollah, but before I do that, uh, give us your candid assessment on the potentiality of an attack from China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. Uh, yeah. Give us an awareness. Of course, Russia is consumed with Ukraine right now. China, mm -hmm. I presume, doesn't want to take us out because we're, we're their whole prosperity. We most half their products are sold to us. Uh, North Korea and Iran sound like they're getting awfully close, and that should be a reason for concern, I presume. But you're the expert, I am not. So talk to us about Russia, China, North Korea, Iran. Well, Russia has almost parity with us in terms of uh, strategic nuclear weapons, and they have actually a little advantage uh, uh, to, to the United States in terms of their tactical nuclear weapons. We still have some qualitative edges, especially with our submarine-based systems. We are now building the new B-21 uh, bomber that uh, is just taking its first flight here just in the last few days. It's an amazing system, uh, but it, it's a little bit smaller than the, than the B-2 or the B-1, but it is very, very capable in that it has standoff capability and uh, it is completely stealth. So we have that nuclear triad that will be a deterrent, but Russia has, there are near peer in terms of, of, of uh, nuclear uh, capability. China is significantly less than Russia in terms of their capability, but they are moving forth quickly. And the trouble with Ch uh, the challenge with China is they have about 20 times the number of nuclear engineers, especially defense related nuclear engineers, as the United States does. And if they're able to uh, reverse engineer our technology, then they can go generations ahead uh, because they just have more people, more minds, more brain power. And they are certainly very competitive in their in their computer power too. Uh, people overlook the capability of Israel. Israel has, and that they'll never, and and it's they they don't mind people knowing that they have this capability. They just never talk about it, and that's the way it should be. But they have the Jericho three missiles and uh, very capable nuclear deterrent. So there is a place for Iran and other countries that uh, seek to to take apart Israel. Uh, should should have a strong pause. Um, uh, Iran um, have to be a, get a little bit careful here. I was the first person in the Congress to go to the floor. That's been probably 12, 15 years ago now uh, and call for Iran to be referred to the Security Council because of their nuclear enrichment. Uh, they said it was for, you know, medical isotopes, but that was preposterous. Uh, they were using polonium, not plutonium, but polonium which are nuclear trigger related. And the only, the only purpose they have in, in, in defense is to trigger a nuclear explosion. And uh, if they are able to put nuclear missiles or sh should say nuclear warheads atop, say their Shahab three, they could hold Israel at profound risk. And Israel's arrow three system would be the, the really the only effective deterrent, except in a close range situation, perhaps the, the, the David sling could pop perhaps in a, in a rare situation intercept, but it is a very, very scary scenario. And, uh, you know, I always am amazed sometimes that we forget that when we say, well, we need to worry about economic issues. And there's no one more conservative than me when it comes to taxing and spending. But we absolutely must maintain 
a clear defense capability because otherwise we can't have a secure environment to produce anything. And the first purpose of the federal government is to defend the nation. And uh, that means defending our allies. And there's no ally that I know of in the world right now that is more important to America's national security than Israel. What about North Korea? Uh, North Korea is a great danger in that uh, they now have probably somewhere around uh, probably somewhere around 30 to 40 existing nuclear warheads. And uh, they have uh, the, the, the Tepo-Dong, the No-Dong no missile system that can reach the continental United States. There are some debate as to whether they have re-entry capability or re-entry vehicles, which would mean that they might not be able to, to target one of our cities effectively, but they don't really need to because they have focused on their electromagnetic pulse or hemp, the high altitude electromag uh, electromagnetic pulse capability, which could be very, very dangerous to America. And they don't need a reentry vehicle for that. All they have to do is get, say, 70 kilometers over, say, Kansas. And uh, if they have the right warhead, especially one that's uh, uh, more of a neutron based warhead that has high uh, gamma ray output, they could potentially, they could potentially uh, catalyze a, an EMP that would create a cascading system a cascading effect that would take out our grid in the lower 48 United States, which would be uh, almost unimaginable uh, to, as to the danger that it would represent to America. Well, you, you I was going to go back to Hamas and Hezbollah, but I don't think I will, given the fact you introduced electromagnetic pulse. Well, I'm sorry. Let me let me say one thing, if I could, about Hamas. So that so that I mean, this has nothing to do with missile defense, but there's a lot of talk about a ceasefire or, you know, that we need to be humanitarian really. Let me just say to you, the world needs to understand that innocent Palestinians are in danger and they're being um, uh, in, you know, facing crisis because of Hamas, not because of Israel. Israel has gone to greater lengths than anyone else in the world to protect innocent Palestinians. And the idea that somehow they should stop uh, wiping out the people that are so evil is, is crazy. Hamas needs to be fundamentally and completely destroyed. And America should stand with Israel to that end, no matter what, because the, the tragedy of the hurting innocent people in Israel and, and the Palestinian areas is because of Hamas and Hezbollah. It's not because of Israel. Israel does everything they can to protect innocent civilians. Hamas and Hezbollah does everything they can to try to use them as human shields. And it is outrageous that in some of our most advanced you know, universities in America that we have protesters that are pro-Hamas. Uh, I, I, I just don't have the words to express the outrage and and uh, just it just you don't know whether the furniture is going to start floating in the room in the next moment because it just seems so unreal that uh, some of our ostensibly erudite um, students in the Harvard and places like that would stand up for a, an evil, hellish nightmarish organization like Hamas. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. It's truly, uh, it's truly demon-supporting demon, this demonic. Uh, I yeah. want to ask one question more on Israel, and then I want Mario to be able to ask a question here. Um, help me understand. I, I, I've called um, Hamas rockets sort of clumsy rockets, because yeah. they're just fired off. It's not clumsy, I guess, if you're living in Israel, it's coming at you. Right, right. It's pretty terrible. But then um, Hezbollah has sophisticated 
much more sophisticated guided missiles, and they have a lot more. I think Hamas has fired 9,500 rockets at Israel since that may be. O- October 7th. Since that may be, that may be. I, I was, I said, I guess the six or seven thousand. I think that was what I was guessing, but that probably by now is correct, Jim. Yeah, it's it's bumping up against uh, ten thousand. Um, but then we got Hezbollah. Now they're both funded by Iran, so mm-hmm. why don't they have kind of the same sophistication? But then, what explain to us the difference between a Hamas rocket and a Hezbollah missile? Yeah, well, some 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 of the. Um, Surface-to-surface Hezbollah missiles can go, uh, you know, four, five, six hundred miles, uh, and they can reach deeper into Israel. The the Gurad or the Katusha rockets are are more, you know, they're they they are truly rudimentary type systems, and they're not guided. But some of the Hezbollah, not not all the Hezbollah systems are guided, but some of them are, and they represent great danger because they're not only guided, not only can they reach deeper into into Israeli territory, but they can be much more pinpoint in their targeting capability, and they have much more deadly warheads. So it's 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 a serious situation, and uh, the Iron Dome can can uh, engage both, but it's 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 starting to really stretch the system because you see, the bad guys have so many rockets that they literally have they they do what's called raids where they have so many coming in that even if we knock down. Uh, as many as we can, we don't have enough interceptors. Or Israel, when I say we, I kind of consider Israel part of we. Uh, Israel doesn't have enough interceptors to keep up with it all. And that's why it's so important for America to stand by Israel and make sure that they have all the capability to defend themselves that they need. What kind of capability would the Iron Dome have against, uh, I know this is unrealistic, but if they fired 150,000 uh, missiles at once, I mean, the Iron Dome no. can only take on a few at a time. No, correct? no, it it would have no chance against one hundred fifty thousand. Now, that's not a that's not a situation that they face one hundred fifty thousand at once. But it would have no chance against that kind of a size of a raid. But there's no system in the world that could could feel that size of a raid. But but the point is that uh, in terms of from the south, uh, from Hamas, uh, if if Iron Dome is able to be replenished with interceptors. They can hold off Hamas for quite a while, but the uh, the systems that take a, a more sophisticated capability coming from the north, from Hezbollah, uh, are more dangerous systems. But they're not nearly as many of them. We're, and we're of the course, US, of US course, I mean, uh, yeah. Go ahead. The U.S. producing them, or is Israel producing them uh, by themselves? Do, are they able to replenish? Do they have enough in stock to keep taking on Hezbollah? Yeah, they're they're. Their supplies are challenged. I think that's the best way to leave it, um, because I, you know, we've got a, an enemy out there that is probably wanting to to see that be the case. Uh, but Israel needs to 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 demonstrate to them that they can they can field whatever they bring. It's important to, that Israel uh, helps them understand that they can. Now, see here, one one other factor that's very very important, and that is with these bigger systems. Uh, that you're talking about from Hezbollah, we can trace those back. The fire control can see where those are coming from, and we can then revisit them with, uh, you know, fireworks of our own, as it were. But some of these little Garad rockets, they literally, uh, one guy in a pickup truck can take them out there and fire them. And that's that's difficult. You know, you can't really uh, assign a lot of um, resources 
to taking out one place where one one Katusha can be fired. So it's it's a kind of a different uh, equation. Uh, and that's why the, the differences in, in our ability to t- deter the bigger systems is is more uh, effective than being able to deter some of these smaller, uh, I won't say nuisance because they kill a lot of people. But the Katushas and the Garad systems are not nearly as dangerous to Israel as those bigger systems are. But mostly the, the thing to keep in mind is is if, if Iran ever got a nuclear weapons capability, uh, Israel's a one bomb nation. And uh, so their their missile the missile defense system could not afford to fail. That's why we need to be with them at every possible turn in the in the road, and we need to make sure whatever it takes, whatever it takes to prevent Iran from gaining a nuclear weapons capability. Because no matter what the challenges are, uh, and no matter what the risks are of preventing that, whether it's destroying Natanz or or the the facilities. At Fordo, whatever it is, they will pale in insignificance to dealing with a nuclear Iran uh, in the future. I'm going to come back to that. I want to ask a question later on that. Um, Martin, to you. Yes. Um, yes. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I heard a commentary the other night that, you know, we're seeing some fire from both Israel in the north and Hezbollah, but it isn't a full-scale war yet. We heard Nasrallah kind of uh, uh, tepid in terms of threatening. Um, and, and what the commentator said is that if the Iron Dome is ever uh, overwhelmed from the north, that that would be the declaration of war. What is Iran, Hezbollah's calculation of entering into the war and then um, the perception that uh, Biden is holding Israel off from any preventive strike to try to help um, a potential strike from the north. You know, Mario, in some ways you've identified uh, maybe a more important factor than the numbers of missiles and even some of the capability on both sides. To some extent, Israel has enormous capability to take out their enemies. I've just told you that in terms of of what they're capable of. They have enormous capability. But obviously, they're held back because because of, you know, Joe Biden and others are kind of, uh, if you heard Barack Obama's speech the other day, it's unbelievable. They're always saying, well, we need to pause it or we need to cease fire. Therein lies the great danger, because that is what will cause Iran and other countries to make the calculus to enter the war. I am convinced that if uh, Donald Trump had been the president of the United States, we would not be fighting Russia in Ukraine, nor would Hamas have marched on Israel. Now, I know that that is a, a little bit of a reach and people think, well, you know, nobody knows that. And I'll be the first to admit that I, I'm not clairvoyant. But I will suggest to you that the psychology of all of this is very important. Our entire nuclear deterrent depends upon our enemies recognizing that we have both the capability and the will and the intent to respond with the devastating um, retaliation should they try to launch nuclear capability on us. And it's the same on some of these smaller theaters. Um, If they think they can get away with it, they push the envelope and leadership matters. And Joe Biden has projected weakness throughout the world. 
Yeah, there's no question that this did not happen in a vacuum, and it was the Biden administration's policy um, of lifting sanctions, uh, give, willing to give $6 billion to Iran, move quickly towards a nuclear Iran, has emboldened Iran and Hezbollah. Um, therefore, their actions of, quote, unquote, we've got your back, and all the military, U.S. military, assembled in, um, in the Middle East, it almost seems like they're talking from both sides of their mouth. Yeah. What is their real intent? Was it just to deter Hezbollah and Iran or to have a presence or to have another theater of, um, of, for a potential war? Well, I have to tell you, Mario, see, I served um, at the same time as, as uh, Joe Biden did in the Senate. I served with him six years. And uh, it's very hard for me to sound like I'm not trying to just be partisan, but I have not seen Joe Biden in my lifetime take a truly principled stand on anything. It's always been a political calculus. And right now, I think he wants to pretend to be really for Israel, but he wants to try to placate his uh, far left by kind of sort of not doing everything necessary to stand solid. You said it best. He's talking out of both sides of his mouth. And, and I, I see it as a, as a, as a great danger. And uh, uh, sometimes we forget that just a clear resolve, you know, everyone talks about in terms of our defense strategy, the idea of, uh, of uh, strategic ambiguity is the, is the term that they use. And I think that there's some place for that, but in general, I think we have to have strategic clarity. I think we have to tell our enemies, listen, we don't want to fight. We don't want to hurt anybody. But if you take on one of our vital allies like Israel or you attack America, God help you because we're coming for you. And if we do that and we're, we're clear about that, I think we save lives on both sides. I think we prevent war. The peace through strength notion is not something that we should let go of yet. And so, yeah, the talking out of both sides of his mouth, I think that's incredibly dangerous. Th thank you so much. Back to you, Jim. We're, as much as I don't want to leave this topic, I'm going to go to the next topic. Uh, Trent, the problem with you is you are an expert in <laughs> multiple fields. And I don't yeah. want to miss the opportunity to get this next topic. EMP. Uh, a number of years yeah. ago, Trent, I would hear reports from Congress, committees from Congress. I suppose you were either chairing them or clearly on them. But I hear reports from Congress that were we to have an electromagnetic pulse and we lose the entire power grid that 90 percent of americans would be dead within a year and i thought that's strange how could that possibly be then i got will uh william forston's book one second after read that the forward is by newt gingrich yeah i read that and it jolted me i became aware i, I saw how it could happen even though that's a novel i recognize but I've not read his other two books. I need to read the, the, all three of them and the trilogy. I see one day after, or one year after, one year after maybe just, and then one called the final um, final moment. I need to I need to read those to find out how you rebuild a country because I think that's where it goes eventually. I'm not sure, but uh, that that book jolted me and I realized what we potentially faced there. And then underscoring what I said at the beginning of the show. When I realized the role, it stunned me when they gave the facts on what fossil fuels has done the last hundred plus years to turn our world from one of abject pain and poverty to 
phenomenal potential. I, I, I realize if we take out the energy supply, it, we, we, we really are back in the Stone Age. Yeah. How do we survive? So talk to us about an EMP. It's a topic none of us want to hear about. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the topic because it, it, I don't want to create fear within people. But I do think we need to have realistic understanding of how to pray. And then secondly, I think if there are any me- methods to prepare for this, what might those be? So mm-hmm. let's take one step at a time. EMP, electromagnetic pulse. What is it? And how concerned should we be? Well, um, let let me without, uh, I, I know we only have a limited time, but I don't want to give a little physics lesson, but very quickly, there are four fundamental forces in the universe in terms of physics, or four. There's gravity, and we're actually rethinking that now. We think it might have be something that is uh, a derivative of the curvature of space that's causing the gravitational force, and I won't get into that, but there's gravity, there's nuclear weak force, and that's essentially what holds atoms together not not but atoms together in a molecule or nuclear what, what for nuclear what nuclear for? weak weak force weak force nuclear weak force weak and then there's the nuclear strong force that holds the uh the nucleus of of atoms together the like the neutrons and the protons together and then there's the electromagnetic force those are the four forces it turns out that uh, gravity is a very weak force uh, and the nuclear weak force is is the next one in the in the totem pole and the nuclear strong force. But the strongest, the most powerful and dynamic of the forces in the universe is electromagnetic force. And it shouldn't surprise people that human beings would appropriate that force for military reasons. You know, I mean, escalation, military escalation has been a part of uh, history forever. I mean, we first started beating each other up with our fists and then we were throwing rocks at each other. And then we had, you know, shields and, and then we came up with spears and then it was, you know, gunpowder and guns and, and armor. And then we just, now we're throwing uh, 300 kiloton nuclear warheads at each other from across the world, uh, 10,000 miles an hour. So it has escalated. Uh, but now we've also come up with different ways to exploit a certain forces in the world for military purposes. The electromagnetic pulse that everybody talks about is the one created by a nuclear blast, uh, you know, somewhere in the depth in the in the area of the ionosphere, somewhere in the atmosphere that's high enough to allow the gamma energy that is released from the nuclear warhead to and gamma energy is by by virtue of definition is a is an electromagnetic force. Gamma energy is is high energy photons and photons are the force carrier of the electromagnetic force. And those then ionize particles, other nuclear particles all around in the air and the atmosphere, and that rushes towards the Earth. And when it finds a conductor, it charges that conductor, in this case, electric power lines and other things. And now these are already under load. uh, And when it hits our GSUs or our, our transformers, they're already under load and it hits them so hard that it overloads and sometimes can destroy them. And then that process can cascade. Now, I, I, I said that so people understand that this is not science fiction. This is real physics. It's a reality. We have spent billions of dollars hardening our nuclear weapons offensive capability, our nuclear uh, weapons defensive missile defense capability. Um, uh, I, I wrote the Critical Infrastructure Protection Act 
which has now been utilized to protect the electric supply of the Pentagon, of, of NORAD, because we have to keep those things in place because it's important if someone is deliberately going to hit us with what they think is a kill shot and kill our entire uh, country's electric grid, that they need to know that we have the ability to respond with nuclear capability if that's if that turns out to be the case, so that there's a deterrent there. But the ultimate deterrent uh, of, of being able to defend this country against nuclear, I'm sorry, against nuclear MP or even EMI attacks, and I, I will talk about that if you want to, but it's a little bit more esoteric. But the ultimate capability is to harden our grid at least in my judgment, it should be hardened to 200,000 volts per meter or 200 kilovolts per, per meter, as, as, as they might put it, so that if there is a major attack, that while it might take out some of our little SCADA controls and some of our smaller um, control systems, that we don't lose our backbone uh, uh, components in our electric grid. Because if we do lose those, it could put us in the Stone Age, uh, put us in, essentially in the horse and buggy days without the horse and buggy. And then we would society would tear itself apart. And it is an ugly scenario. That percentage that you mentioned is one that I usually don't talk about because it sounds so scary. But that is the percentage that came from the uh, EMP Commission when they came before Congress in 2004, when I was on the Armed Services Committee. That particular meeting, we went into executive hearing and closed door meeting, and uh, they told us some pretty scary stuff. And uh, the chairman of that committee was Ronald Reagan's Einstein. So they were not, these were not uh, just bystanders. These were the smartest people in the world. And they gave me great pause. And now, of course, uh, we understand pretty much as a country the reality uh, of the danger of electromagnetic force and electromagnetic pulse. China has a, a very developed capability. Russia has a developed capability. Iran has a developed capability. And North Korea has an advanced capability. Now, North Korea, their goal is to stay whole. They just don't want to be blasted off the map, and I understand that. But with Iran, when you have a kind of a jihadist mindset that is willing to die to kill other people, you know, Sheikh Nasan, Hassan Nasrallah, you mentioned him earlier. Let me quote him to give you some perspective of how dangerous this is in the hands of Iran. He said, we have, quote, we have discovered how to hit the Jews where the Jews are most vulnerable. The Jews love life. So that's what we will take from, from them. The, we will win because they love life and we love death. Now, that's pretty scary because that means they have no calculus as to any danger or any deterrent. So the deterrent no longer works with them. And if they have the capacity, they may use it. And we must be impervious to their capacity in my mind. You were in Congress, and you were you were hearing from the EMP Commission. How I haven't heard a member of Congress refer to this the EMP potential for quite some time. Yeah. Maybe not hearing from the right people. Is Congress taking this seriously? Is our military taking this seriously? Our military is. You don't have to argue with the military about this. Like I say, we spent billions of dollars hardening some of our most critical defense assets. Uh, you know, you got guys like General O'Reilly, uh, uh, guys like Trey Obring. Trey Obring is a hero of the first magnitude. He's a great man. And he was uh, once the head of our missile defense agency. And these guys, they understand the danger. They understand exactly what we're looking for and what we, we could face. And so they've taken measures to try to, to mediate that and ameliorate it as much as they can. 
Uh, Congress, unfortunately, is not as well informed as we should, but there is a good effort uh, there. The problem is Joe Biden has pretty much dialed back our focus on this. They want to focus on the natural EMP. And natural EMP is is uh, like coronal mass ejections from the sun that are also very, very dangerous, and they're ultimately inevitable. Uh, but once again, the answer is to harden our electric grid so that we are essentially impervious. That's not that hard to do, uh, and we should do it. And there's now new technology, the AGT technology. There's other people out there that are doing this that that have the capability to, to filter this or to, uh, like the pulse block technology AGT has, uh, if EMP hits that, it literally attenuates it to the extent that it's not any any danger to the to the main grid function. So we have the technology. We just need the will. Uh, Donald Trump uh, issued an executive order that helped not only enforce the uh, the bill that I wrote, the critical infrastructure bill, but just generally our response to this dangerous issue. And Joe Biden has deliberately and mindlessly, in my judgment, dialed that back. And it, it is just an incredible uh, thing. You know, we now have, just to give you one example, we have what's called the CHAMP system that is a non-nuclear EMI. It's like e it uses electromagnetic uh, uh, energy, and they call it electromagnetic interference. But it's so powerful that we can fly uh, one of our cruise missiles or one of our delivery systems over a city block, and we can pick out one skyscraper, and we can take out the electronics of that building and leave the other standing. Now, when I say standing, I'm not talking about knocking the building down. They leave the other uh, electronics uh, operable in these other buildings. If we can do that, if we, you know, if our enemy's in range, so are we. If we can do that, uh, we are actually kind of the latecomers to electromagnetic uh, warfare. And now we're coming to com coming of age. Even on our carriers, Jim, uh, our F-18 now, about half of its resources are electromagnetic warfare. Well, it's deeply concerning what you've said. Uh, I'll go back to the phrase natural EMP from the sun. You use the phrase that's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound too encouraging. No, it's pretty discouraging. It really is. Now, let me tell you why I say that. You have, you know, we had what to call the Carrington effect uh, a long time ago. And uh, we named that after the, the British scientist that really was the one that that really discovered. And, and uh, uh, we were hit with a major a coronal mass ejection from the sun, and it created a highly uh, powerful electromagnetic pulse that really was so powerful that it affected an entire hemisphere. And uh, we were in the days of the, you know, the, the telegraph at the time, and we it literally caught some of the telegraph uh, uh, facilities on fire. But these were so robust, these were so impervious to EMP that it wasn't a disaster. If that hit us today, we're a million times more, at least a million times more vulnerable than we were then because we've outsmarted ourselves. We come up with a smart grid and we have these little, you know, circuits in, in some of our supervisory control and, and, and data acquisition controls that are so thin. Some of them are maybe 10 or 12 molecules wide. They don't make a good flashbulb. It doesn't take any kind of real energy to, to completely annihilate them. Uh, but and, and we're not going to be able to fix that for a long time, but we will be able to, if we are smart, make sure that we protect our major components. So if it goes out in a few days, we can use electromechanical switches and things like that to turn it back on, or we can do a black starter thing. But if we lose those big components, uh, it creates such a disaster in our society 
that it might be a, a, a kind of a black swan event that we might not be able to, to recover from. Air Force and, and the Space Force uh, raised their age of entrance up to 42 because nobody wants to join the military uh, under the present administration because the military um, has been outfitted with high heels rather than how to how to fight and do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. So we, we have probably the, the, the rank and file military are rock solid, I suspect, but the what they call the TV generals is where we got the problem. How is that impacting us on being prepared with the EMP reality? Well, as you might imagine, I think the whole woke nonsense has affected America on almost every level in terms of our productivity, in terms of our military capability. And we've just got to start getting back to a little bit of common sense. Uh, you know, we're, we're a country that doesn't want to to we're a live and let live country. We're, we're even, you know, I, all the Christians that I know are not trying to impose our lifestyle on anyone. But we don't want to make this nonsense focus of all the woke stuff to be so ridiculous that we end up weakening our entire country uh, by essentially taking away everyone's freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And it, it's just a terribly dangerous thing. And, uh, uh, you know, this uh, administration's more focused on green energy in the military than they are the military capability. And it's really a scary situation, Jim. And I don't know what the answer is, but I would suggest to you that 2025, uh, that the, the whoever we elect to take office in 2025, we better be paying attention. Mario, what questions do you have on EMP before we go to the next one? Uh, yes, I, I actually, I it's on Iran. Uh, one question. I don't know if we discussed how how soon will they be nuclear capable? Yeah. Well, boy, Mario, you're asking a really good question, and it's a dangerous one to answer because, first of all, let me just say this in sort of a uh, indirect way: we don't know exactly where they are right now. Uh, people forget that once you have fissile material, once you have uranium that's uh, uh, that's enriched above 90 percent, uh, you literally could take a block, a 100 pound block of 90 percent enriched uranium and another 100 pound block of 90 percent enriched uranium. And a tall guy could stand up and throw it down as hard as he could. And maybe one out of 10 times that could go partially critical. And uh, that's uh, that's a scary, scary thought. So what I'm saying to you is once you have the fissile material, and I'm not talking about a, a hydrogen or a fusion bomb, I'm talking about a fission bomb. Once you have a fission, a fissile, fissile material, uh, almost any intelligent Boy Scout group can come up with some type of gun weapon that is, 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 uh, can create nuclear yield. And of course, that is not only the blast, but also the, the fallout that occurs. And sometimes when it's terribly inefficient, all that does is blow the the unused fissile material into the atmosphere and, and creates a lot of radioactive fallout. So we don't know exactly where Iran is right now. I mean, I have my own opinion. I'm not going to express it, but here's what I can say to you. Um, uh, having been the first person to refer Iran to the Security Council and having been sort of dissed at the time for saying, well, they only have 160 centrifuges. And that was true. They said, that's just for medical isotopes. And that wasn't true. And I said, you know, they said, well, it's going to take 3,000 centrifuges to make uh, a true weapons capability where they could build several nuclear warheads a year. And that was true. 
But I said, that's where they were headed. And they said, no, that's silly. Well, today, Iran has, and I'm going to, again, give you a very conservative number. If we were measuring the same type of centrifuges at that time, which were IR1s, and measure their IR, say their IR6s today, and their capability, it would give them the equivalent of more than 20,000 centrifuges um, as we were measuring it back when I called for them to refer, be for, refer to the Security Council. There is no absolute doubt, there's no doubt, that if Iran is left unchecked, that they will be able to produce, on their present trajectory, enough fissile material to become a serious uh, terrorist, nuclear terrorist organization in the world. And it is one of the most dangerous things that we face. Um, yeah, and coupled with what you shared before, their mindset of death, and they don't mind their calculus of losing a third of their pop population, whatever it right. is, for for sake of jihad, it's a very scary proposition. It really is. Back, back to you, Jim. Okay, let's go to this third topic. We are unfortunately are close to out of time, so we'll have to make this one really very short. But the world, word fracking comes up, it's used negatively by people who want us to go all green, solar and wind. Yeah. And, and yet the reality is that solar and wind cannot carry us for what we need energy-wise as a world. It's not a possibility. And then if it's true, and you ought to tell me whether this is true or whether this is myth, that by the time you put up one of the wind generators, the amount of energy consumed to put it up from fossil fuels is not replenished by the amount of, of wind energy uh, that it took to expense it. So, so talk to me about that. If that is a reality, then we're really selling ourselves a bill of goods. But talk to us about uh, fracking. Respond to the first part, and then let's go in specifically fracking. Why is fracking really so needed yeah. and actually yeah. very good? Well, fracking is short for fracturing. It's hydraulic fracturing. And it's kind of a strange thing that you would ask me because I believe I'm the only member of Congress at the time that had ever actually fracked a well. I have fracked several of them. And the way that that's done is you set your production string or your casing through the productive zone and you cement and you build tremendous pressure. So you build a tremendous seal uh, between your water zones or your saltwater zones and your oil zones, whether they're shale zones or whether they're limestone or, or, or uh, sandstone formations. And then you perforate in that exact um, horizon where the oil or gas is you think it is. And then in order to be able to, you see, because it, it has to come into the well bore, and in order to be able to get into the well bore, we do what's called hydraulic fracturing in some cases. A lot of wells are not fracked, but in some cases we will uh, put high pressure and pump like um, nitrogen or something like that back into the formation, break it up, fracture it, and pump propant or sand or what, uh, glass beads or something like that. And it makes it like a sponge where the oil can come in and it increases the productivity of the formation profoundly. And if you add that to directional drilling, where instead of just drilling through the layers, you find the layer you want and you turn and go laterally into the formation then you're really able to get a multi-multi-fold a, a uh, increase in the, the productive, product, productive capability of the formation. That allowed America in some of our shale formations. My grandfather was an old world wildcatter. 
And he would drill through these shales and he'd say, man, that sure does smell good. There's oil in it, but we can't get it out. It's too tight. We can never produce it enough. Today we can. His grandson can frack that and we can make great wells out of it. And that was going, that made America at one point under Donald Trump energy independent. We were self-sufficient. And unfortunately, because Joe Biden wants to kind of placate the, the, um, the green energy groups, he makes the mistake of cutting America's productivity down. And that then, then he has to do something to drive the price down. So he allows, he allows Iran and Russia to escape the, uh, the um, uh, sanctions. And, you know, we talk about the $6 billion that went to Iran. Iran has gained about $100 billion in oil revenues that are outside the sanctions uh, dynamic. And that's because we have to buy oil from other countries. And it's outrageous. We should produce our own. And I can tell you that fracking, there's never been um, a, a, a perfect example is probably the fact that across the Western United States, you have the Ogallala uh, freshwater formation. And that formation remains a freshwater zone without being invaded by oil or gas formations. And that is a testament to the fact that fracking is not dangerous to this to the to the environment. And one one little statistic, I don't know about the one that you mentioned, but I wouldn't doubt it at all. But it would take a wind farm the size of Connecticut to power the lights and the electricity in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. So the idea we, we uh, three or four percent is about where and, the, and that's been pretty steady for the last several decades is where wind and solar have taken us. And about 81 percent of the world's mechanical or our uh, mechanical energy is derived from fossil fuels. A guy named Epstein wrote a book called Fossil Future. And I would commend that to your listeners because that guy knows what he's talking about. And I say that as having drilled my first well for myself, dry hole, when I was 17 years old and hit my first well when I was 18. So I've been doing it a long time, no more than a decade. I lived in Oklahoma City at one time and when the oil boom took place. And all around Oklahoma City, in fact, about uh, probably 50 yards from my house, where it was a drilling rig. Drilling rigs were everywhere. And many of my friends were investing. So I, I, I played around and invested a little bit. Now, I was a tiny operator, but invested. We, we would split it up into shares. And, yeah. and so I would go out to the wells as they were drilling. And then the big day when fracking took place, that was a big that day. That was a day. Yeah. We were, we'd get all excited. I, I, I invested tiny amounts in a bunch of wells, maybe about a dozen of them, and, and most of them were duds. But one of them yeah. came through, and it made yeah. up for the failures. Made up for the others. So I, I've dabbled just a bit on the edges. Uh, uh, why uh, the people who are against fracking? What is their argument? What do they say? And then refute those, if you would. Yeah, they talk about that this is going to ruin the freshwater zones, and that's preposterous. Here's what the incredible irony is. Our water well standards in most cities don't require us to isolate our production string with cement like we do in oil wells. And that means that we create the perfect hydrostatic invasion vector uh, in our water wells. It's our water wells that create the danger to our lower aquifers, because if, if pollutants leak in from the top as they stack up over a, you know, a vertical column, every two and three tenths feet of vertical column, there's one pound per square inch of hydrostatic pressure. So if you've got a, a well that's say a thousand feet deep, a water well, which we have a lot of them in Arizona that deep, 
and there's nothing but an open outside annulus, it's called, to the, the, the formation, there's the danger because any, any pollutants that, that run in there, after a while that fills up with water and it forces those pollutants hydrostatically into the formation. And I can't believe that we're blaming things on oil wells when the very thing that we're doing to, to produce our water wells is what are to build to the production st string and the, and the construction standards of our water wells is what's endangering our groundwater aquifers and our mid-depth mid, uh, aquifers. So, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to un unpack all that, Jim, but the bottom line is if we don't need less oil and gas. We're going to need a lot more over the years, and we have no energy source that is capable, in terms of physics now, of replacing that except for nuclear energy. And the very people that are against uh, hydrocarbons are against nuclear energy. So uh, let me tell you, it's a dark world. If they if they keep going green the, 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 to the extent that they are, pretty soon we'll go completely black. Is the statement we see that the cost of production with all the various uh, very rare metals that are needed for an electric car, electric vehicle, or even what it costs to put up a, a wind generator, for example, that in the length of the time of service of that generator, wind generator, it will not produce enough to offset what it costs to produce it, to build it. Jim, here's what I've heard. I, I don't hold myself to be uh, an expert in, in wind power, but I will say this. I had a, a good friend, T. Boone Pickens, who's passed away now, who put a large part of his fortune in exploring this. And he came up with the notion that this is not going to be very effective. And it, it goes to what you're saying. When you consider all of the the factors, the fact that wind doesn't blow all the time, the fact that you've got all these other dynamics, and the fact that when you're talking about batteries and electric electric uh, um, um, facilities and and uh, mechanisms, there is a secondary pollution issue that may rival that of hydrocarbons. And we are so good now at being able to minimize pollution from hydrocarbons that it's just ridiculous. We've just really done a good job in that regard. It's so much better than it was many, many years ago. And I'm convinced with all of my heart that if we don't get a hold of this, uh, that it may be a, a, a one of the major factors in a national security failure. Because if we don't have uh, energy, uh, we don't have anything. I mean, we really are in a, in a great uh, danger if we don't have energy capability. And uh, interestingly enough, I saw something the other day that made it, it was a little meme. It had a big diesel engine uh, powering a generator uh, that was out there charging an electric car. Yeah. See, uh, about, I want to be careful here, but a significant portion of the electricity that you use in your house or to charge your electric vehicle comes from coal, and natural gas powered electric plants. And so, you know, if you know anything about the, the first and second laws of thermodynamics or entropy, there is an issue there where you're producing energy by one force and then you're having to do a, a, a transfer or, or a, a, a change in the, in the dynamic there. You literally are still using a lot of, of, of um, hydrocarbons simply because they work all the time. And it's, it's, it's a strange coincidence that as we have tried to integrate um, green electricity production, we've literally made our grid less efficient and more susceptible to crisis. Well, I, I'm just so grateful for you. Mario, let's go to you for a question. 
Yeah, uh, I, I don't have any questions. I just want to thank you so, so much. Uh, not only are you a strong man of God, just a wealth of knowledge, brilliant, and your passion for truth, for our nation. And uh, we will be praying um, uh, for how God's going to use you in, in the future. Thank you so much for all uh, your years of for being with us. Thank you, Mario. I just my, my only ask request is just pray God's will be done. Because that's that's all we want. The older you get, the more that's what you want, you know. Amen. Grant, yeah. um, you, you might want to consider, uh, it, I know you're so busy for this and running for Congress, but it'd be very interesting if you would have um, seminar tra video training on what you're talking about with PowerPoint, graphs and charts in these three topics for people to understand very short ones because people have a uh, short attention span, although we didn't demonstrate that today by going as long as we did. But if you could do uh, short video trainings on these three topics, that might be very helpful because you're extremely knowledgeable. It's really helpful. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I, I hope, you know, that'd be wonderful if, if time would ever allow me to, to do that, something like that. I'd like to do it because you can do so much better than just kind of doing this off the top of your head. You know how it is when you're giving a speech on something that is contemporaneous. It's never as uh, chock full of solid information as it is when you do a script and are, you're able to, to present it the way it needs to be presented. And that does need to be done. In the meantime, I will, again, encourage people to read the book uh, on uh, the, the Fossil Future book on, 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 on uh, hydrocarbons and just pay attention to the dangers of a country like Iran gaining a nuclear weapons capability and what that would mean to us in terms of of a nuclear war or uh, something that would be an EMP that could, could tear our country apart and societal uh, destruction by us literally tearing each other apart. Because I think we're about 16, 16 meals away from starting to shoot each other. And uh, we can't let that happen. It's not necessary. Um, we've talked a lot about a worst case scenarios today, but right now, as grave as this situation is, and my last word to you, Jim, and uh, you know, I all of you, my, my last word to you is that as grave as the situation is, um, we are the Easter people and uh, there is great purpose for hope. And uh, I am convinced that America has been through a lot of tragedies and we've come through them. And I, I still have a lot of hope and I pray to God that we can do our part, occupy till he comes and be there doing what we're supposed to do. And if he comes sooner than than we might expect, and praise the Lord, you know. Uh, you have referred to the book a couple times. It's, folks, it's Fossil Future. Fossil Future by Epstein. Yeah, Alex, Alex, A-L-E-X. That's right. And the, the subtitle is Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. And I'm telling That's you, right. coming from that conference in London we were at. Exactly Oh, my, it made a believer out of me uh, in terms of, let me just put it in the language like this. If we do not consent, continue with fossil fuels, we're going to see greater human pain, suffering, and poverty than we have ever seen on, on, on our globe. Uh, that's, that's the reality yeah. we face right now. Now, Rosemary, right. so quiet. Oh, by the way, I'm going to have Rosemary stalking here in a moment right now. But before we do... Uh, you're running for Congress in which district? 
Um, Alex, I mean, I start, start to call you Alex. Uh, I, I want to say something really good about Alex Epstein. He, I don't even know if Alex is a Republican. Uh, he, I don't know if he's a conservative, but he is a brilliant man. And uh, people ought to listen to him because he's right on this subject. But, Jim, I'm, I'm running in, in Congressional District 8 in Arizona. That's the that's the district that I've represented. You know, I've lived here almost 40 years. And uh, I tell people I was just in diapers when I came. That's not quite true. Uh, but um, uh, and uh, 15 of those years I served in the, in the Congress there. So, you know, it's it's a bumpy ride uh, these days. And and I promise you. It is not ego that is driving me at this point. You know, ego is, I suppose, a part of everything that we do, but it's not a very big part of that right now because I've been enjoying my quieter days with my children and the family. But I just feel like if I'm going to do the right thing for them, that I have to I have to do this. And if the, if the people of the district uh, feel somebody else is better, I'll accept that with, you know, I just want God's will be to be done. And that's the truth. We absolutely believe you. Uh, what's your website if people want to look at that website? Yeah, they're, they're just, you know, we just made this announcement, just, but the website I think is votetrentfranks.com. And it's not even, I don't even think you could pull it up yet. So, uh, but we'll, we'll see how that works out. And, you know, I, again, there's a lot of, a lot of people running and there may be some really wonderful folks running. And if God has somebody that'll do, do better than I will and uh, be smarter and, 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 and be a better a person in that place, not a better person, but a, a, do 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 his will better, then praise the Lord, man. I, I really mean that. But at the same time, you know, there's an old saying, it's better to stand in the way of an entire army than one Calvinist who believes he's doing the will of God. You know, and uh, when, <laughs> when you think you're doing what God's called you to do, you just got to do it. And that's that's where I am. Well, there's nobody better, nobody smarter. So <laughs> I, I, I support well, then so I we may be in a lot more trouble than we think if that's the case. <laughs> the, the Genesis 1 28, this has been our verse for the day, really. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. The word dominion over it, the word exercise, uh, stewardship of it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. And so, what we're talking about is humanity has had the opportunity. To uh, subdue, to exercise appropriate dominion, uh, to steward it. We don't own the earth; God does. That's why we right. do That's about right. how the create how the how the creation is treated. We treat the earth with respect. Uh, we don't treat it as Mother Nature. It's not Mother Nature. It's cre it's created by God. That's right. Consequently, we we treat the earth with respect. But God has given us these kinds of resources uh, to really make life considerably better on this earth. And God gave us the authority starting in Genesis, and we could go to other verses as well. So that's been the theme of the verse uh, for today, these last two topics we've talked about, particularly the last topic we've talked about. Rosemary, why don't you share your thoughts and uh, maybe pray over Trent before we sign off? Yeah, I mostly wanted just to pray over you, Congressman Frank, and to just declare a word that I, I have in my heart for you, because I, I so admire you in the Lord. And, and I just... Um, Thank you for your praise that you said leadership matters and that I just feel that you are a miracle birth and for a miracle purpose. And it's for a specific reason to fulfill a God's glory in these end times for a specific destiny. And you've said in your heart that you're willing to, to lose your life 
to give your life to the Lord. And he says, because of that, you're not only going to save your life, but you're going to be part of the salvation of your nation and the salvation of Israel. And he says, the Lord has given you the strength of Solomon, the supernatural surprise of, of strategy that he gave Gideon as he took his army to fight the enemy and the inspirational wisdom of Solomon and that the Lord says in you, he has saved the best for last mm. and that your greatest days are yet ahead and his greatest purposes are for you. And he is so excited. He is so proud of you as his son that you are willing to step back in that ring now and you are ready to mm -hmm. fight the good fight of faith. And it's going to reap in tremendous results that all the world will see and realize and give God the glory for. You are a hero in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And I bless you in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, that you will raise up those army of intercessors as the Gideon's army of 300 mighty men and women who will prevail against all wickedness and darkness of this hour to bring light and salvation and deliverance to your people. We Thank you for the man of God that you chose to bring to birth and to live in this time that you have equipped and anointed for this day and hour in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.